does things his own way. He's his own man. He, he marches to the beat of his own drum. And oftentimes what God does, he wants to do that no one can take credit for it. So he's got this plan. As long as Moses keeps his hands up, we're going to win. Right as Moses drops his hands, we're going to lose. So Moses better keep his hands up. But you know what's amazing about this? There's a great lesson in this. Because the only reason they were victorious is because they did it in a community. They did it together. Today you'll find out, if you didn't already know, that God doesn't exactly do things the way most people do. He's definitely unique. Pastor Daniel will be telling you about some miraculous acts of God, including a battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites, which was fought in an unusual way. God brought about a victory, though none would have predicted it. God's doing great things still in creative and unpredictable ways. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 17 as he continues his message, Life in the Wilderness. If the wood hitting the rock, Jesus going to the cross, brings forth the Holy Spirit, the next time he didn't say, hit the rock with the wood, he said, just speak to the rock. Why? Because after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected from the dead, we don't need to see Jesus crucified again to get this Holy Spirit. We just need to ask. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who ask him. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, all we need to do is ask. We are children. We don't need Jesus to be crucified again. We don't need to do some sort of religious, spiritual calisthenics, which other religions and a whole lot of types of Christians like to make you do. In order to be really right with God, you have to do this and that and this and that. And you got to grow out. you got to keep the law. And you got to cover your head when you pray. Everyone has all these things. Listen, no, no, no. Jesus finished the work. All we have to do is ask. That's the grace of God. That's the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. We can like and enjoy certain ways people do things. But we always have to realize that the gospel is so valuable because you don't need to do anything else. The whole gospel says that we can't do it. And God did it for us. So whether you like to worship on Saturday or Sunday or whether you think this thing is important and this thing is important, all that's really important is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And the Apostle Paul got in a lot of trouble for that gospel. And there's all sorts of people who want to do the gospel. It's this. It's the gospel plus this thing. The gospel plus this thing. It's the gospel plus this hobby horse that I'm on. Or this very specific kind of strange doctrine that I pulled out from somewhere. And then you're like, just read Galatians. Just read the gospels. Jesus didn't say it's finished as long as you do X, Y, and Z. He said it's finished. Period. And I love that about the gospel. And we do all sorts of things, not to get saved, but because we're saved. We serve the world, not so that we can try and win God over. We're already won over because of the finished work of Jesus. And we serve the world because that's what Jesus did. And we just want to be like our Lord. So Moses, 
in Numbers 11, he ruined the picture. Because you don't need to see Jesus crucified again. We just need to ask. It's a beautiful picture. See, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit indwells those who believe because we believe in Jesus. That's what the gospel teaches. And I don't understand how it works. The Holy Spirit's in us, but then you read through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, flows through people. I don't know how all that works. I just wake up every day and say, Lord, I just need you. And I want your Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do today. And if you want to heal somebody, cool. If you want me to speak in languages I've never heard about, I don't even know what I'm saying, that sounds cool too. If you want to give me a prophetic word, cool. If you want to let me do the ministry of service, cool. I'll do, I'm, I'm here, Lord. Just use me. And that's my recommendation. Because people get worried about the things of the Spirit. You know, that's like, like, I mean, it's always terrifying if God shows up, right? I thought we talked about that on Sunday when we were raising our hands. People were like, man, that was kind of freaky, Pastor Daniel. Like, I'm like, I know God may have done something. You know, it's kind of scary. So I don't want you to be nervous about the Holy Spirit because he's God. But we need to say, Lord, whatever you got, I'm game. And even if it makes me a little uncomfortable, I mean, if God isn't making us a little bit uncomfortable, are we really growing? I mean, because he's God and we're not. And he's doing things that we're not quite ready for yet. That's because he's doing things. So we want to find ourselves to be open to, to the ebbs and flows, keeping in step of the spirit. And I think the best way to do it is simply say, God, I'm game. I'm here. Whatever you feel like doing in, through me, around me, sounds fun. And know what it does? If you avail yourself and ask God for his Holy Spirit to be God in your life, God will do crazy things. You won't understand why it happened, how it happened. And you'll be like, after saying, like, I don't know what's going on. But God will be using you. And that's a powerful thing. So I want to encourage you to be naive enough to read your Bibles and simply trust that God's Holy Spirit moves today as he's always moved. Because God never changes. Jesus never changes. Neither does the Spirit. They're always eternally have been and will be God. And we just want the Spirit to be the Spirit. And I'll be honest, my prayer for Crossroads and for all of God's people all over the globe is that there's a move of the Spirit always. That we are available like, Lord, do what you got to do. I'm here. We're here. Whatever you got, we're game. And even if we don't understand it, that's fine. I've been around long enough to realize that I don't really understand much of anything most of the time. Right? And those of you been walking with the Lord a long time, you're like, I thought I really understood things, but I've realized that I really don't get what God's up to a lot of the time. But he's always working. And we walk by faith, not by sight. Notice in verse 7, because water came out of this rock in the midst of great contention, Moses called the name of this place Massah and Mirabah, which simply means tempted and contention. So even though God was, did a miraculous thing, Moses was still recollecting the reality that this was a tough go. Now, life in the wilderness, they were without water. Now look at what happens. Verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, verse 9, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed 
And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, which in some of your translations says Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi, which is the literal Hebrew of that word. The Lord is my banner. Verse 16, he said, because the Lord has sworn The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So now notice, the children of Israel are just wandering in the wilderness, and Amalek comes to fight with the children of Israel. So Moses has a plan. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, this is the first mention that we have of a man named Joshua in the Bible. Joshua, we know, will be the man who takes over from Moses, who brings the children of Israel across the River Jordan and into the Promised Land. He's got his own book by his name, which comes right after the first five books, the books of Moses, the Torah. So he tells Joshua, I want you to choose some men and go out, and you're going to fight with Amalek, and I'm going to go up to the top of the hill. Moses did as Joshua said in verse 10, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now imagine this. So Moses sends an army out. He's going up to the top of the hill. And he's got Aaron, his brother, and Hur. Hur is another man who we're going to see a lot of going forward. It's interesting that Hur, his grandsons were the builders of the temple. You're going to, we're going to find that his, his grandson, Bezalel, is going to be one of the artisans who builds the temple. So it's interesting that you have Moses, who's the receiver of the law. You have Aaron, who's of the priests and the Levites. And then you have her, who's part of the building of the temple. And Joshua, all together, in fighting the enemies of the people of God. Now it's interesting. As long as Moses had his hand raised with the rod in its hand, the children of Israel prevailed. Right as his hand started falling, the children of Israel were losing to the the Amalekites. And so what happened? Moses didn't go up alone. He went up with Aaron and Hur. And Aaron and Hur had Moses sit down. So he sat down. And each guy held up Moses' arm so he can keep his hands raised. Now, again, like the water from the rock, like the bread every day, this is a miracle. The fact that when Moses raises, keeps his hands up, they win. When, ha- when his hands are down, they lose. That's miraculous. That's not normally how battles are won. And it's interesting when you look at the battles in the Bible, how often... Battles are won in really weird ways. Like when we get to the book of Joshua and it's time to defeat Jericho. Can you imagine Joshua going back to the generals? Like, okay, there's a great walled city. I got a plan. God gave me a plan. Okay, well, what's the plan? We're going to walk around the walls of the temple every day for seven days. Like, okay. And they're thinking, yeah, we're scouting it out. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times. And then we're going to blow trumpets and yell and the walls are going to fall down. Okay? Could you imagine one of his generals like... Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the plan? I don't know what God you're believing, but my, I don't know how that's going to work. But sure enough, they did Joshua's plan, and what happened? When they walked around seven times and they yelled and blew the trumpets, the walls fell down. See, 
God's plans are sometimes just straight up weird. It is, like, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it defies human logic. You know why? Because God doesn't run based on human logic. And especially if you study philosophy and logic, you realize that our human logic is actually just Greek logic. And there's a whole lot of people who don't think that what we think is logical at all. It's just our preferential cultural logic, which is a very fascinating... I don't want to go on a tangent, but it's very fascinating. God does things his own way. He's his own man. He, he marches to the beat of his own drum. And oftentimes what God does, he wants to do that no one can take credit for it. So he's got this plan. As long as Moses keeps his hands up, we're going to win. Right as Moses drops his hands, we're going to lose. So Moses better keep his hands up. But you know what's amazing about this? There's a great lesson in this. Because the only reason they were victorious is because they did it in a community. They did it together. Moses was victorious with the children of Israel because he had people holding his arms up. And brothers and sisters, I know we live in an individualistic culture and we don't want anyone to get involved in our stuff. We like our own little space and walls. But you need to have people around you who know what's going on in your life to hold your arms up, to be a shoulder to cry on. We need that. And I realize that all of us both want that and are absolutely terrified of that. We want it because we're wired for it, but we're terrified of it because people may need us too. And it's one thing when I need you, it's another thing when you need me. And know what that's called? Selfishness. That's called selfishness. I'm only in it for me. I'm in it for what I need, for what I want. But the Bible says the greatest in the kingdom is the what? Servant of all. And we need to do it in community. We believe in community. Crossroads is a big church, but there's a whole lot of community going on here. A whole lot of it. People really care about one another here. And if they knew you, you know what? They'd care about you too. And they'd want to come alongside you. They'd want to be part of your life. They want to walk with you through those trials and the struggles that are happening in your life. They want to hold your arms up so that you can be victorious. But if you do the thing all by yourself, if you go up to the mountaintop alone, when your hands get tired, there's no one to help you. There's no one to help you. And we are wired for community. We talk about that a lot here. But Aaron and her helped Moses when he was weak and they won. And let that be a good and important lesson to us. And they defeated the Amalekites. They totally did. And they memorialized this whole thing in verse 14. Write it as a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. That I may utterly blot out the remembrance of the Amalekites. See, the Amalekites are under God's judgment. That's what it says. I like this. The Lord is my banner. The idea of a banner is a flag. It's, it's, it's meant to, to delineate ownership. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my flag. The Lord goes before me. He's put his name in my life. That's what all this is about. Now, as we move on into chapter 18, look at what happens. Verse 1. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, 
for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he had said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So we're seeing this is a family reunion, so to speak. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, you get that over and over again. He's coming with Zipporah, who is Moses' wife, and their two sons, Gershom, which literally means a stranger there. And notice it was named because we were a stranger in a foreign land, or if you remember from literature, a stranger in a strange land, classic book. And then, of course, Eliezer, which means God is my help. So he's got their sons. Now, what we are learning here is that at some point, Moses sent Zipporah, his wife, and his two sons back to Jethro, their father-in-law. And it never says in the Bible when he did that. We just know that at some point he did it because now Jethro is coming with Zipporah and his two sons. Some people want to argue that with the events of Exodus 4, remember that whole thing where Zipporah is circumcising their sons when the Lord was trying to kill Moses, that whole weird thing. Remember that? If you don't remember, you can listen to it online. It was weird. I don't really have a lot of good answers for you. But it's just one of those weird things in the Bible that happened. Some people say it happened there. We don't know. Some people say maybe Moses sent her back um, when things were getting rough with Pharaoh. But as we always say, when the Bible is silent, what? We shall be also. So it doesn't matter when he sent it. We just know that they're coming to him now. And Jethro is going before saying, hey, I'm coming to you. I'm bringing your family with you. So this is a, a family reunion of sorts. Now, from here, look at what happens. In verse 7, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being and they went up to the tent. And Moses, in verse 8, told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So it begins with kind of that classic Near Eastern greeting. They saw each other. They said, hi, they kissed each other. That's where the holy kiss thing comes from. And I know we're a little bit too proper for those holy kisses. Although there's some of you guys out there who like to give me those holy kisses. I don't mind. But, but that was just, that was the normal greeting. Like if you're in Europe, when I went to Italy, it was great. I felt very at home. Everyone kisses you on a, each cheek. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of fun. You know? So that was just the way they greet each other. They said hello. They exchanged pleasantries. They found out what was going on in each other's lives. And then they get to the real business because Moses begins to share with his father-in-law the testimony of what God has done. Now, we find that by this time this is over, Jethro is either completely converted, 
because he says, I know now that the Lord is greater than every other God, or he had believed in a lot of gods and he he realizes now that Yahweh is the strongest. We don't really know the details of Jethro's spiritual life. We know he was a priest of Midian. But something happens after Moses shares the testimony. Now, I want to encourage you. If you want to talk with people about Jesus, you can always just say, this is what God is doing in my life. That's a great way to share with people. And the reason people say it's a great way, and I agree with it, is that no one can really dispute what God is doing in your life. They really can't say, well, that's not really happening because it's your life. So one of the easiest ways to talk about Jesus and what God is doing is when people say, how are you doing? I always do it this way. I'm like, you really want to know? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, are you sure? Like, yeah. Now, why do I do I do that for two reasons. One, because they think something really juicy is going to come and that makes them excited to hear it. And normally there is some good juicy stuff. And two, I tell them that because then when I tell them about what God is doing in my life, if they get upset with me, I said, well, you wanted to know. So for me, it's a, it's a net win on either side, you know? But I, I do that because it's like, you sure you want to know what's God? And then I tell them, like, look, this is what God's doing in my life. And normally it has something to do with, I'm having a blast because God is totally radical. And he's blowing my mind. He's growing me in my marriage. And I'm part of this great church and we're all just growing. And it's totally cool. And people are coming to know Jesus. And people's lives are being changed. And we're walking through tragedies together. But we're doing it as a family. And we're holding each other up. And we're weeping together. And we're laughing together. And God's just doing this great stuff. And you know what? No one can say, no, he's not. Because I'm like, well, if you don't believe me, just come check it out. See that? Now you get to invite them to church. See, like, it, it's wins all around, you know? So, but Moses shares all this great stuff, and Jethro's like, yeah, man, that Yahweh, he's got it going on. I know he's greater than every other God. Whatever gods I've been worshiping, your God's got it going on. And so what does he do? He starts offering sacrifices. He starts worshiping Yahweh. And, and Aaron and all the elders come to hang out with Moses' father-in-law. And again, this is a very patriarchal culture. So Moses' father-in-law, just by nature of his position, was to be respected. And after all this is done, we get the lead in in verse 13, that Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Now, so Moses is sitting in the judge's seat. You ever, when a verdict is being rendered in the law of court, they say, well, the defendant what? Please rise, but the judge stays what? Seated. Ah, inadvertent Bible testimony right there in a court of law. Maybe not so inadvertent, but the idea is people stand before the judge. Jesus is real. The people of Israel continued their journey toward the land God was giving them, but it wasn't without incident. Today they encountered an enemy the Amalekites. However, Pastor Daniel reminded you that God wasn't surprised. He had a plan, and though it didn't look like a normal battle, the Israelites came out victorious. God brought these people together to support Moses and to support each other in the battle against evil. 
If you've enjoyed Pastor Daniel's teaching today on Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church for our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you can't come in person, you can still be part of our vital congregation by tuning in to our live stream. Find out more at crossroadschurch.net. That's crossroadschurch.net. Hi, friends. Pastor Daniel here. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family. But I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel encourages you to embrace the calling God has for you. You'll learn about Moses as he sits as judge for the people and how he couldn't do it alone. God would call others to fill a need and help their leader. God's calling you to something too. It may not be a place of leadership, but it is useful to the kingdom of God. He'll equip you with what you need to succeed too. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Sinai. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.